morning, everybody. How's everybody doing? Everybody's doing good? Amen. All right. Happy Father's Day to the fathers. Shall we celebrate the dads in here? All right. All right, guys. So we, we're, we're still uh, completing our series from the book of Judges. Um, how many of you guys have been enjoying this for the last few weeks? All right. So we're, we're getting there. Um, last week, we dealt with Gideon. And um, I thought I was complete, but after uh, just continuing to read through the Bible, um, there were some points that I wanted to uh, revisit uh, from last week. Um, so we're going to go back to the book of Judges, the eighth chapter, and we're going to start at the 27th verse. All right, you guys there? Guess what? If you're not, it's right here. All right. It says, And Gideon made an ephod from all this and put it in Orpha, his hometown. Then all Israel prostituted themselves with it there, and it became a snare to Gideon and his household. So Midian was subdued before the Israelites, and they were no longer a threat. The land was peaceful for 40 years during the days of Gideon. Jerubel which is also Gideon's name, son of Joash, went back to live at his house. Gideon had 70 sons. Happy Father's Day to Gideon. 70 sons, his own offspring, since he had many wives. His concubine was in Shechem. He also bore him a son, and he named him Abimelech. I want you to remember that name. Then Gideon, son of Joash, died at a ripe old age, and was buried in the tomb of his father, Joash, and Orpha of the Abizrites. All right, we'll stop there. <laughs> I want to talk today about finishing strong. Finishing strong. That's right, finishing strong. It's wonderful to start a project, and I don't know if anybody's ever done one of those type of projects in your house where you have this zeal for a few weekends. And then somebody walks by and they see that missing part that you never got back to. Okay, I'm the only one. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish that bush in the front. And then, you know, three weeks later, you come back and that bush is still a little, still a little leaning. Uh, because we, a lot of times in our life, we start off projects with a lot of zeal. We start off even our life with a lot of zeal. But one of the most dangerous things is to not end strongly. Y'all with me today? We're going to walk through this for just a couple moments. And when we study the Bible, we see a lot of stories of men who started strong but ended weak. Mm. You have Moses. You have David. You have Solomon. All strong men who at their prime did amazing things. But when we look at the end of their life, they did not finish strong. And one of my prayers in my life is God allow me to keep my same zeal and to make sure that the same zeal that I have now, I have towards the end of my life so that I can finish my life strong. We want to be consistent. So we look at this text and we're going to just revisit last week and we run across a man who's from a little tribe called Manasseh. It's just this little town, not many people. 
and he's a farmer. <laughs> he, he's, he, does, he, does, he does farming, and God comes and visits him one day, and he calls him a mighty man of valor. Now watch this. He's a farmer, but God sees a mighty man. And sometimes we look at ourselves and we look at what we are and we look at our present circumstance, but we don't see what God sees in us. And God now has to come into Gideon's life and remind him of what he sees through his lens. And one thing that we dealt with last week is we have to change our view of ourselves and learn how to see ourselves the way God sees us. And now Gideon now steps on the scene, but we see that he has a lot of doubts. So constantly he goes through different phases where he's constantly testing God and God being God proves himself to Gideon. And we see that God wants to prove to Gideon that all of his strength and all of his victory in his life is going to come through him. So Gideon starts off with an army of 32,000 men and God says it's too many. Drops it down to 10,000 and God says it's still too many. And finally gets it down to 300 men and God says that's just right. And God uses 300 men to take out 132,000 soldiers. Tell me that ain't bad. I, I, I seen the movie 300, but I can't imagine if somebody, you know, Steven Spielberg or somebody did a movie on Gideon. That movie would be just as bad. 132,000 men with 300 men. This is in the Bible. And God does all of these miraculous things through him. And one thing that we have to understand is that when God does the difficult in our life, we have to constantly give him glory. Y'all yeah, with me? When we go through, when God does uh, unbelievable feats and when God opens unbelievable doors, we cannot get caught up for a moment into believing that we had something to do with that victory. Uh -huh. He'll use your ability. He'll use your strength. But at the end of the day, he's the puppet master that designs your destiny. So now we see here that God now uses Gideon to do all of these miraculous feats. Watch this. And the people see Gideon, but they don't see God. So now we get to the book of Judges, the eighth chapter. And in Judges, the eighth chapter, they come to Gideon and they try to make Gideon a king. And Gideon says, God forbid. Because he recognizes where his strength comes from. But even though he gives God glory, there's still some pride in him. Because it's hard to do big things and not get a little big headed. You guys are quiet. We've all had some situations in our life where God did some wonderful things and people patted you on the back and told you how good you are. And for a couple moments, you begin to think within yourself, you know, I, I did do a little bit of that. I did have something to do with that. Praise be to me. And Gideon now comes on the scene. God uses him. The people try to make him king. He denies the kingship. But watch this. But there's still a little pride in him. So what does he do? We go now to Judges, the 8th chapter of the 27th verse. And the Bible says, and Gideon made an ephod from all this 
and put it in Orpha, his hometown. Now, if we were to go up a few verses, the people were giving him offerings of gold and offerings of silver and all of these things. And what Gideon does is he takes these offerings and he designs an ephod. What is an ephod? An ephod is a sleeveless garment that the high priest wore in the Old Testament. It was something that only the priests were supposed to wear when they went into the presence of the Lord to offer up a sacrifice unto God for all of Israel. It had 12 stones on it and it had two, two stones on the shoulders, which symbolized that, that the priest would carry the burden of all Israel. So the, the ephod was something that only the priest was supposed to wear and that was only designed for priests and was supposed to be only designed by priests. But the Bible says Gideon, the guy from Manasseh, creates his own ephod. The ephod is not for everyone. The ephod is only for the high priest. But Gideon designs a high priest garment for himself. What does that tell you? There's some pride there. He's done a miraculous move. God has done miraculous things. And Gideon is looking for just a little bit of glory. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. And we got to be cautious not to constantly look for a little bit of glory, but to push all the glory to God. And because Gideon has this pride issue, he makes this ephod, and the ephod now becomes an idol to the people. They move from true worship to God, oh, help me, God, to worship of Gideon. They take their glory that's supposed to go to God and they move the glory to leadership. Let me say it again. They take the glory that's supposed to go to God and they take the glory and move it to leadership. And now it becomes a cult-like following because now the people have shifted their worship to God to the worship of man and the Bible says that God is a jealous God and he shares his glory with no one I'll take you somewhere a little bit further for just a couple moments. How many of you remember uh, this story in the book of 1 Samuel? There was the Philistines, and they had a god by the name of Dagon. Anybody ever heard that story before? Dagon was a fish god. Uh -huh. uh, they praised the little mermaid. I'm just playing. But they, 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 Dagon was a fish god, and what they would do is they bought this, this, this fish god, and they put the tabernacle beside the fish god in the temple. Uh -huh, because the Philistines thought that their God was just as powerful as is the God of Israel. And the Bible says that when they came in the next morning, the idol was laying on its face. They pick it back up and the next morning, the idol is broken into pieces, which what God was basically sharing with them is that I share my glory with no one. Know you not know that your body is a temple of God. And if God dwells in you, he shares his glory with no one, which means that anything that is not like God has to break inside of you because God shares his glory with nothing else. 
So now he goes and he prostitutes, they prostitute themselves there, and it became a snare to Gideon and his household because now his pride has made him like a cult-like figure. They don't go to church for God anymore. They go to church because Pastor Gideon's preaching. It's no longer God-driven. It's personality-driven. And now since it's personality-driven, I'm not going to church to worship God. I'm going to church to worship leadership. Which means that my worship is no longer authentic, pure, and true, but my worship is predicated off of my leader. And because I worship man and not God, when man falls, because I looked at him as God, I want nothing else to do with the church. Because man falls, see, that's why I don't go to church anymore. It's a bunch of hypocrites. When man falls, see, that's why I don't mess with that church stuff, and that's why I'm not religious. Because look at all that hypocritical stuff, but if your eyes were on Jesus and not on man, You'll be able to pray for restoration, but keep following Christ. Because what does Paul share with us? Don't follow me, but follow me as I follow Christ. I'm not the the, the line leader. I'm in line just like you are. And if you want to do something, follow me. But I want you to know I'm not the leader of the line. Christ is the leader of the line. But what has happened is we've moved Christ out of the way and we've allowed men to become our line leader. And it's no longer foundation in Christ. It's foundation in man. So we're hearing preaching of opinion, but no longer preaching of the gospel. We're hearing preaching, we're hearing TED Talks on Sunday, but we're not hearing the gospel. And we have cult-like followings. Where do you go? I don't go to church. I go to pastors such and such church. I go to bishop such and such church. I go to Apostle Gideon's church because he got the word. And now you don't even realize that your worship to leadership has now become a snare to him and his household. So Midian was subdued before the Israelites, and they were no longer a threat. The land was peaceful for 40 years during the days of Gideon. We talk about this all the time, that every time God sends judges, there's peace for a season. But for some reason, they start getting caught up in themselves, and they go into idolatry, and then God has to raise up another judge. So the book of Judges is nothing but a big roller coaster ride. One minute we're doing well, we have Deborah. The next minute, we act in a fool. The next minute we have Gideon, praise God. The next minute we're acting a fool. The next minute we have Samson, praise the Lord. The next minute we're acting a fool. And some of us, we look at this Bible, this scripture in the Bible, and we're saying, what's wrong with them? But the fact of the matter is that's a whole lot of us. You have zeal on Sunday, but you acting a fool on Monday at work. I need my coffee. Leave me alone. Your anger is demonstrating. Your attitude is demonstrating. 
And now we're looking at you like, is that the same Christian that had their hands raised all Sunday? Is that the same camera that was up there crying? Her Jesus must have split personalities. <laughs> so Jerubal, his name is, is Gideon as well. Jerubal, you see Jerubal and, and Judges, it also means the name Gideon. Son of Joash went back to live at his house. Watch this. Gideon had how many sons? Look at what happens when God blesses you. Now, when we met Gideon, in Judges 7, we didn't hear about no children. We didn't hear about a wife. We didn't hear about a house. Matter of fact, he lived at his father's house. Because the Bible says after he had an encounter with the angel, the Bible says he got up, went to his father's house, and tore down the idols. But now God has blessed him. He got 70 sons. Praise the Lord. His offspring, since he had many wives. Look, 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 look. that fame then brought him a whole lot of women, too. And a concubine. As if though enough wives weren't enough, I need a, another lady on the side. Who was in Shechem, who also bore him a son, and he named him Abimelech. Now, what did I tell you? Gideon's pride became a snare to his family. And we see the same thing with David later on in the next couple chapters or the next couple books. David now has the same issue later on where there's conflict in the house because there's some pride issues. He's the king. He's the man. And one day, he, well, the Bible says that it's the time that kings go to war, but David tarried still in Jerusalem. And he starts sitting on the rooftop and he looks and he sees a woman bathing herself who's a married woman. But his pride of who he was allowed him to get in the way, and he, he commits adultery with her, has a seed with her, and then tries to kill, well, does not try, but kills off her husband to justify the baby in the marriage. Pride will make you do some crazy things. So now he has a concubine his, who was in Shechem, and I don't want to get into Shechem because I can break down all of that, uh, also bore him a son, and his name was Abimelech, which means, watch this, Son of the king. <laughs> now, what did Gideon just tell them prior in a couple verses? Don't call me a king. But this concubine had so much pride when it was time to name the baby because they named their children based off of circumstances. And you go through the Bible, all of those names have distinct meaning. And she says, my boy's name's going to be son of the king. I know Gideon don't want to be a king, but my son is going to be the son of the king. And can you imagine every time she calls him Abimelech, Abimelech, come here. And then subconsciously, it's son of the king, come here. And there's a certain pride and a certain head lifting up his head. And yes, mother, I'm going to be the king one day. We're going to see in the next couple of verses. There's getting ready to be a generation of pride issues that's going to visit again. Abimelech, yes, mom. Subconsciously, she's calling him the son of the king. When his father is nothing more but a merely judge, but there's something in the back of his mind that believes that he's going to be a king as well. Y'all with me? Then Gideon's son Joash died at the ripe old age, and he was buried in the tomb of his father, Joash, in Orpha of the Abizarites. Now watch this. He lives in Orpha. He lives in Orpha, and he puts an ephod in Orpha. The ephod is supposed to be for the priest. 
The ephod is supposed to be in the place of worship. Shiloh during this time, not Jerusalem, because we haven't got to Jerusalem yet. The Jerusalem is still under uh, 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 the, the, the rulership of the, Jebus the Jebusites, which is where we get the name Jerusalem from. The Jebusites owned it. It's actually Jebusalem, but they changed it to Jerusalem. So Jerusalem is not yet the place yet where the tabernacle or the, the temple dwells. The temple actually dwells at this point during the time of the judges in Shiloh, but he shifts the attention from Shiloh to Orpha. He changes the style of worship and he changes the place of worship. Worship's supposed to be over here, but he shifts the people's attention to his house and then dies. So now you have a generation who does not know how to worship effectively. So he's buried in the tomb of his father, Joash, and Orpha of the Abezerites. And when Gideon died, the Israelites turned, told you because they don't know no better, and prostituted themselves with the Baals, plural, and made Baal Bereth their god. The Israelites did not remember the Lord their God who had delivered them from the power of the enemies around them. They did not show kindness at all to the house of Jeruabel, that is Gideon, for all the good he had done for Israel. I'm getting ready to close here, ninth chapter, and it says, and Abimelech, Abimelech, what did I tell you? What was his name? Son of the king, Abimelech, son of Jeruabel, went to Shechem and spoke to them and all of his maternal grandfather's clan. Watch this. What side? Maternal grandfather's side. Maternal grand, not, not, not paternal. Because if it was paternal, what side is that? The Gideon side. But he went to his mama side and his mama was from Shechem and Shechem is not part of Israel. <laughs> Y'all with me? And remember, he's the son of a concubine. So there's a certain type of feeling there. I don't feel like all the other brothers because their mothers were embraced by my father. I was just a woman. My mother was just a woman beneath an actual wife. So there's some issues here. Y'all okay? You're looking at me real tight. Abimelech, son of Jerubel, went to his mother's brothers at Shechem and spoke to them to, and to all his maternal grandfather's clan, saying, please speak in the presence of all the lords of Shechem. Is it better for you that 70 men, the sons of Gideon, all the sons of Jerubel, rule over you? Or that one man rule over you. Look at him. Pride, pride, pride. Son of a king. Remember that I am your own flesh and blood. He used his mother's side to cater to the enemies of Israel. His mother's relatives spoke all these words about him in the presence of all the lords of Shechem. And they were favorable to Abimelech, for they said, he is our brother. So they gave him 70 pieces of silver from the temple of baal Bereth, And Abimelech hired worthless and reckless men with this money 
and they followed him. Now watch this. There's 70 men and they were given 70 pieces of silver, which means that each brother was killed for only a piece of silver. Which shows you the value of what he thought of his brothers. He went to his father's house in Orpha and killed his 70 brothers. The sons of Zerubbabel on top of a large stone, but Jotham, one of them, the youngest of Zerubbabel, survived because he hid himself. So he actually killed 69 of them. Then all the lords of Shechem and of Beth Milo gathered together and proceeded to make Abimelech, what? King at the oak of the pillar in Shechem. What is his name? Son of the king. He was determined to fulfill his name. Y'all with me? Y'all like y'all look make y'all see shaking the heads just like I'm I'm preaching a drama today. I like this. Part two next Sunday. You guys are like this is good. I need a commercial break. <laughs> this is too much. <laughs> when they told Jotham, this is the baby, he climbed to the top of Mount Gerizim raised his voice and called them and said, listen to me, lords of Shechem, and may God listen to you. The trees set out to anoint themselves, to anoint a king over themselves. They said to the olive tree, reign over us. But the olive tree said of them, should I stop giving my oil that honors both man, God and man and rule over the trees? Watch this. The olive tree is one of the most powerful, resourceful trees. And he was given the opportunity to rule over all of the other trees. <laughs> but the olive tree didn't allow his pride to get in the way. He understood his purpose. And when you understand your purpose and you understand how resourceful you are in your purpose, you don't need a title and you don't need to be exalted to be told how purposeful you are. Some of the most humble people are the most silent in the room. And some of the most loudest, boastful people are the most mentally weak in the room. Y'all quiet. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all with me? So the olive has an opportunity to rule all of the other trees, but the olive understands his purpose and says, what I'm doing is a good work. Why do I need to be exalted when God has given me such a great purpose? I don't need a title. I'll, I'm all right. I'm good where I'm at. Because in due time, I'll be exalted by God. And I don't need to be exalted by man. Watch this. Then the tree said to the fig tree, now he's moving on. The trees, come and reign over us. But the fig tree said to them, should I stop giving my sweetness and my good fruit and rule over the trees? Once again, I understand my purpose. Finally, the tree said to the grapevine, come and reign over us. But the grapevine said to them, should I stop giving my wine? that cheers both what? God and man and rule over trees. Watch this. My purpose is greater than trees. <laughs> Y'all quiet. My purpose is greater than trees. I'm, I am blessing God and man where I'm at. So I don't need a title when I'm a blessing 
where I'm already at. Finally, now they 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 desperate now, and the trees want a king so bad. Does not God rain on the trees? Does not God allow the sun to shine on the trees? And yet they still want a king. What does that remind you of? Israel. They were a theocracy. God reigned over them. God provided for them. God opened Red Seas. God opened Jordans. God was a cloud. He was a pillar of fire. He brought plagues through Egypt. He released them out of the hands of the Egyptians. And yet after all of that, they still wanted a king. And what did they do? They found an oak by the name of Saul, who was their choice, but was not God's choice. And we see that this parable is somewhat prophetic of what is getting ready to come in the next few chapters. Finally, all the trees said to the bramble, what's bramble? Bramble is like tumbleweed, something that has no purpose, just And of course, something with no purpose doesn't mind being a king. <laughs> I don't got no job anyway. <laughs> I ain't feeding nobody. I don't. All right, cool. I'll be the king. <laughs> so <laughs> they come to the bramble and they say, come reign over us. And the bramble said to the trees, if you are really anointing me as king, <laughs> y'all crazy. I added that. Over you, come and find refuge in my shade. Ain't no shade in no brum, bramble tree. <laughs> but if not, may fire come from the bramble and consume the cedars of Lebanon. I'm almost done, y'all. I'm almost done. What he, Jotham, the baby, is basically saying is that Abimelech is nothing more but a bramble. And if you put your trust in a bramble, he's prophetically speaking, you're going to burn up. Now, let's go to the 16th verse, and I'm, I'm finished now. I'm seriously finished. 46th verse, I'm sorry, 46th verse. Now let's go to the 46th verse. You guys there? You're not there, but you'll get there. There we go. 9 and 46. All right. So it says, when all the citizens, or when all the lords, there we go. When all of the lords of the Tower of Shechem heard, they entered into the inner chamber, uh, inner chamber of the temple of El Barith. Then it was reported to Abimelech that all the lords of the Tower of Shechem had gathered together. So Abimelech and all of the people who were with him went to Mount Zalman. Abimelech took his axe in his hand, watch this, cut a branch from the trees. He picked up a branch, put it on his shoulder, and said to the people who were with him, hurry and do what you have seen me do. Each person also cut his own branch and followed Abimelech. They put the branches against the inner chamber and set it on around the people and all the people in the tower of Shechem died about a thousand men 
and women, and Abimelech went to Thebes, camped against it, and captured it. Stop right here. He killed all the people in the tower of Shechem, who were the same people in the first verse that he said, make me your king. He flipped the script on them. He brought them in, and then he burnt them up. What did I tell you about the bramble? He said, if I come under my shade, and if the Lord say so, and if there's a fire, you're going to burn up. And they took the risk of depending on something that did not have the ability to lead them. They went under leadership who was not prepared to lead. And now he has burnt up a whole family because they trusted in a man and did not trust in God. But the unfortunate thing was they learned it from the generation before. Saying all this, I know this was like a harsh story. I'm saying all this to say this, but that God is our source. Christ is our source. Christ is our foundation. And God will use men and women of God to lead us to him. And we have to understand that that's their purpose. And not get to the point to where they become our dependency. And we no longer lean on God, but we lean on them. Because people are people at the end of the day. And I don't care how great and how morally flawless they are. Every single one of us has a time in our life where we just cannot keep up with all obligations. I don't care how prompt you are. I like being everywhere on time. I do. I don't, but I do. I'm flawed. I told you. So I'll tell you I'll be there at 10. But there's a possibility that there's a a tragic accident five minutes up the road that will cause me to be an hour late. But if you depend on me and not God, and you're sitting there waiting for me to be your deliverer, you will eventually be disappointed. I could possibly do well for a while. Oh, I can, you know, possibly, you know, help you get out of your bind. But eventually you might get in a bind and I can't help you get out of. And that's when it's important that you have relationship with God and you move from dependence of man to dependence on God. Because if you get under the shade of man and that man goes under fire and he does not have the ability to sustain that fire, you'll burn with him. Gideon is an example of what happens when you start strong but finish weak. You not only affect yourself, but you potentially affect the generation after you. Because all they know is what they see. And I think this is appropriate for Father's Day. Because our children as fathers, those of you that are fathers, are watching us. And it's our responsibility to finish strong. Not perfect, but strong. 
I, 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 I'm, 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 I'm done. I, I had to learn something uh, for the last two years. I had to learn that my parents were people just like I am. And the same way I'm trying to figure it out, they were trying to figure it out too when they were parenting me. And they did not do everything perfect, but they did the best that they could. <clears throat> and if I would hold against them their mistakes during their parenting of me and not get over it, then I cannot expect forgiveness from my children when I make mistakes. So we have to pray. Pray for your parents. Pray for your mother. Pray for your father. Thank God that they may not have got it all right, but they gave you a good start. <clears throat> Everything was not perfect, but I know right from wrong. I know how to do certain things in my life. I know how to provide. I know how to feed my family. I know how to get a job. I know how to do things like that. I know how to take out trash. I'm the best trash taker outer in America. I was doing that at like six. <laughs> but what we don't want to do is we don't want to get so unforgiving. And this is my testimony. Because if I become so unforgiving, I cannot look for forgiveness from my children if I ever have a flawed moment. So we just need to pray for each other. Pray for our flaws. Pray for our issues. Pray that God restores us. Pray that God reconciles. But let's not get caught up and make it seem as if though we've done everything perfect as well. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this message on today, God. Thank you, Lord, for meeting us in this place, God. We thank you, Lord, for your word, God. God, this was a crazy story. <laughs> a lot of ups and downs. But, God, some great examples and just some great things that we can learn from, God. We ask, God, that you touch each and every single person in this room, God, name by name, one by one, God. God, we ask, God, that you restore our hearts, restore our minds. We got, ask God for reconciliation, God. We pray, God, for the spirit of forgiveness during this season, God. We pray, God, that you just continue, God, to strengthen all the fathers in here, God. Continue, God, to allow them to be good men, good fathers, good husbands. God, direct their paths. God, allow them, God, to just follow you. And as they follow you, God, the family will follow them. And, God, you never allow us, God, to go off course if we follow you. And we thank you, Lord, and we give you all the praise and honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like to partner with us or make a donation, please visit our site at www.go2hopehaven.org. Our mission statement is to reach, evangelize, accept, and love. Your contribution will be a blessing to many in our local community nationally, and even internationally. Again, thank you for listening. Stay tuned for more next week.